Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for you. This nation will rise up. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another edition of Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. This week, we got a big episode, don't you think, Roach? I would have to agree. Good guest. Yeah, it's a a really good guest. We're proud to have this one on. He's been everywhere from Oprah to NBC. If you haven't heard of him, you've probably been living under a rock, or you don't ever hope to be in a relationship. Or you don't have the internet. Possibly. Or a car or, to a, go to a bookstore. Books, yeah. This week we interview Gary Chapman. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Five Love Languages. He has sold more than 7 million copies worldwide and has been translated into almost 40 languages. Dr. Chapman travels the world presenting seminars on marriage, family, and relationships, and his radio program airs on more than 300 stations. He has an impressive resume. He's written over 40 books. He's a world-renowned marriage counselor. He does a lot of really cool speaking engagements. We're really lucky to have him on the show. It's kind of crazy. I don't know if our listeners have heard of or read the five love languages, but it kind of sounds maybe like a gimmick, you know, like another one of those, this is how you fix your relationship things. But I, and I'm not too big on those, but I actually think this one has a lot of merit. A lot of people depend on self-help books. I know a lot of people that actually just read them to feel normal about (laughs) themselves. 
Yeah, and this one, you know, it's not just, oh, this is the key to things. Basically, the five love languages is all about people, how you get your love and affection in different ways and how you give it in different ways. And I think it's it's a common idea, but the way he explains it and the way he goes about it using his 20 plus years of experience really brings it home. And we ask him some questions that I know everyone, male and female, has probably wondered when it comes to relationships, such as why is it that more women want to spend quality time and it seems like men don't? And it's not really that they don't, it's just that we kind of speak these different languages. And once you figure them out, it makes your relationship a lot easier. So, you know, we hope everybody can can take a listen here and apply this insight to their life and to their relationships. Now, did you sit down with your girlfriend and talk to her after we had a discussion with Dr. Chapman? Well, you know, that's a good question because I did, but it wasn't necessarily because of him, although that might have been subconsciously. It's just that it took me two plus years to realize she needs that one on one look her in the eye, talk about whatever she wants to talk about time, you know, and I think that might be the quality time aspect. I'm pretty bad at it. So I, I try and block some time out where I can just focus on her rather than sports center or poker or whatever else might catch my ADD moment, you know? Gotcha. How'd that go? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. I just had to act like I was. You just had, you had to be there for the quality time. Yeah, man. You just got to act like it. Everybody knows that. I gotcha. Nah, I'm just kidding. Head on over to our website at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Remember, we've got that Amazon widget on the bottom left-hand corner of the page. Anytime that you go to Amazon to shop for anything that you need on a daily basis, make sure you click that. Buy through our link. It gives us a a nice little commission, helps keep the show running. Every purchase through our widget definitely helps the show out. While you're doing that, visit us over at Twitter at Smart People Pod and on Facebook at Smart People Podcast. You know, you can have discussions with people over there. You can have discussions with us. And if you really want to recommend a guest for us to have on the show, use our Contact Us link on the website. Uh, It sends an email directly to us. We're very fast at replying to those. We've pretty much reached out to every single guest that people have have suggested, you know, whether or not they've been on the show, that's based on how high profile these people are and what, what amount of time they have. If you can just head over to our site, help get our numbers up, smartpeoplepodcast.com, we'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah, so thanks for checking us out. Like I said, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy this episode. So take a listen. Hopefully it'll help you out in your life in numerous ways. We'll catch you in a few. Dr. Chapman, for those people who have somehow missed your book, which has done incredibly well, I know you've sold more than 7 million copies worldwide. I was hoping you could give us and our listeners just a very brief overview of your book, The Five Love Languages, and how it came to be. Well, the basic idea of the book is that uh, what makes one person feel loved doesn't necessarily make another person feel loved. So we're talking about how do you effectively love someone on an emotional level. And what I discovered was that fundamentally, there are five ways that we express love. So I call them the five love languages. And the idea is that everybody has a primary love language. One of them speaks more deeply than the other four. And if you don't speak the person's primary language, they likely will not feel loved, even though you're speaking some of the other languages. 
And the way I came up with the five, I'd been counseling probably for 15 years before I wrote this book. I realized I was hearing the same stories over and over and over in my counseling office. Uh, One of them would say, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me. And the other spouse would say, I don't know what, I don't understand. I do this and this, and they don't feel loved. Uh, So I knew there was a pattern, but I didn't know what it was. So what I did, I went through about 12 years of the notes I had made when I was counseling and asked myself, when someone said to me, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? What was lacking? And the answers fell into five categories, and I later called them the five love languages. So that's where I came up with the five. Uh, I was not dogmatic that there was only five, but now that the book has been out for a number of years and sold so many copies, and I've had a lot of feedback, uh, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm more confident <laughs> that these are five <laughs> uh, fundamental languages. Uh, well, somebody did tell me, you know, well, I think there's a sixth language, and I said, what is that? And they said, chocolate. I said, well, <laughs> that could either be a gift or it could be an act of service, depending on whether you bought it or made it, you know. So oh, yeah. at any rate, uh, uh, the concept has been helpful to a lot of people in uh, really stimulating emotional love in the relationship. Right. No, I, and as I mentioned, you know, given the success, obviously people have really felt that this book has resonated with them. I kind of wanted to follow up to that and say, you know, Obviously, there's been a lot of books written about relationships and things and and love over the years, and your book has enjoyed this success. What do you think kind of differentiated it from previous ideas that have been out there? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, I think because it specifically addresses the issue of emotional love, Uh, and we, we all desire to be loved. And if you're married, you would most like to be loved by your spouse. In fact, if you feel loved, uh, then the world looks bright. If you don't feel loved, the world looks dark. So I think it speaks to that fundamental human need. I think that's one reason. I think a second reason is the book is practical. Uh, I purposely left out, you know, the jargon of psychology and just tried to speak in the language of the common person. So I have many people say to me, especially men, uh, I don't read books, but I read your book, and it helped my marriage. <laughs> I said, well, good, I'm glad. Uh, so I, I think because it's a simple concept, uh, you read it, you get it, uh, you try it, it makes a difference in your relationship, and then you share it with your friends. And I think uh, the success of the book has really been word of mouth. Uh, one friend shares it with another friend. And what's interesting is that uh, – Every year since this book was published, it sells more uh, than it did the year before. And this has been going on for all these years. So I think, uh, I think it's the fact that it's practical, it's easy to understand, easy to apply, and it speaks to that deep human need that all of us have to be loved. Dr. Chapman, can you talk about the in love experience and how it affects people? Well, you know, it's a, it's a very exciting experience, and I describe it in the book. Uh, I think it's where most of us start in, in our relationships. We have these warm, bubbly, tingly feelings. Uh, I call it the tingles. Uh, it's really the tingles that motivate people to go out together. Uh, they go out, and either on the first date, they either lose the tingles or it gets tinglier. And if they lose the tingles, uh, the next time they call for a hamburger, they're not hungry. So they, that relationship doesn't get off the ground. But if, uh, if, if everything is positive, then every time you go out together, 
uh, it feels tinglier and tinglier. And what happens in a, in a, in a moment in, in after some time is that we begin to think, you know, I've never felt this way before. This is different. And we say to the person, uh, you know, I, I think I think I, I, I could love you. We're kind of testing the waters to see if they're how they're going to respond. And if they give you a positive response, such as, what would be so bad about that? Then you have a tender evening, and it really becomes an obsession. Uh, that's the best way I know to describe it. You get obsessed with each other. You can't get that person off your mind. Go to bed thinking about them, wake up thinking about them. All day long you think about them. You want to be with them as much as you can. Uh, they are an incredibly wonderful person. Uh, in your mind, they're, they're just next to perfect. Now, your mother can see their flaws, <laughs> but you can't. You know, your mother will say, uh, well, honey, have you considered uh, they haven't had a steady job in five years? <laughs> and you will say, mama, give them a break. They're just waiting for the right opportunity. So, you know, really you get obsessed with them. They appear to be perfect in your mind. And uh, consequently, it's this state, this emotional state that we call falling in love or being in love that uh, leads people to the point of being willing to make a commitment to each other for a lifetime. Uh, the difficulty with it, of course, is that it's temporary. Uh, Long-term study, Dorothy Tenney, Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, discovered that the average lifespan of the obsession is two years. So most people come down off the high rather soon after they get married. And sometimes people blame marriage. And they say, well, you know, marriage just kills love. <laughs> well, you would have come down off the high if you hadn't gotten married. So the reality is, uh, while it's a wonderful experience, it is not uh, the foundation for marriage because it's temporary. I really like that explanation because I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but I'm, a, I'm kind of a skeptic when it comes to being able to be with the same person for, you know, 50 plus years and all that, even though my, my parents have been together for over 30 years and I've, I've seen how it works, I just can't believe how unbelievably difficult it must be. And I like your approach because you don't really say you just fall in love and it's this magical thing that works forever. It's something that you have to work at and like you speak on, you have to speak the same languages. What do you think the key is to the, the long-lasting relationship after those tingles, as you mentioned, go away? Well, I think it is learning how to stimulate love, how to communicate the love in the right language so that you continue to have warm feelings for each other. It's not the euphoric state, but there is a deep love for each other, a deep emotional uh, feeling for each other. And that comes by choosing to speak that language. It's not enough simply to understand the concept that this makes my spouse feel loved. You have to choose to do that. And this is where some people uh, uh, you know, fail. In fact, a man said to me, he said, I, I read your book. I found out my wife's love language is acts of service, and she wants me to do the laundry. She wants me to vacuum floors. And he mentioned a couple of other things. And he said, I'll just tell you right now, if it's going to take that for her to feel loved, you can forget it. And I said to him, that's your choice. If you want to live with an unhappy wife, then that's your choice. Me, if it's laundry that's going to make her feel loved, I say, bring on the laundry. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's a small price to pay for a happy woman. So to me, that's the key. It's, it's understanding what makes my spouse feel loved. It's the willingness to do that. And when you do that over the long haul, uh, you keep love alive, you process life together, you become encouraging and supportive of each other, 
And uh, marriage is what I think it was designed to be, a loving, caring, supportive relationship. I really like how you say each of us has a primary love language because, you know, I read through your book and one of the things that I noticed was, man, I feel like I have a couple of different languages or at different times I might need different things. But you talk about how there's a primary one that will kind of be guided by at all times. How can we identify the primary one, the the biggest one that's important to us? Well, I think that is important. And it's very similar to spoken language. Everyone grows up speaking a language with a dialect. I grew up speaking English Southern style, okay? (laughs) But everyone grows up speaking a language with a dialect. And that's the one you understand best. Same thing is true with love. So the way you discover it, of course, we have a a quiz at the back of the book you can take, or you can go online at fivelovelanguages.com and take a quiz that will help you with the process. But here here are three clues. Observe how you treat other people in general. For example, if you're the kind of person that's always patting people on the back, giving high fives, you know, uh, or hugging people, chances are physical touch is your language. You're doing for others what you really want people to do for you. If you're always giving encouraging words to people, you're just looking for ways to encourage people, then words of affirmation is probably your language. If you're always giving gifts to people, it is every occasion, you're, and you're thinking all the time, oh, this would be nice for her or him, or, you know, and you're give, you give gifts, probably receiving gifts is your love language. If you're the kind of person that likes to uh, have lunch with people and have extended conversation, quality time is probably your language. So you look at what you do in your relationships with other people, not even non-romantic relationships. That's a clue. Second clue, what do you complain about most often? If you're saying to your spouse, for example, we don't ever spend any time together. We're like two ships passing in the night. You're telling them that quality time is your love language and you're not getting it. Or if they come home on a business trip and you say, you didn't bring me anything? (laughs) You're telling them that gifts is your love language. So listen to what you complain about. If if you say, for example, uh, I don't ever do anything right, you're saying that words of affirmation is your love language and you're not hearing words of affirmation. So what do you complain about? And the third clue, what do you request most often? If you're saying several times a month, could we take a walk after dinner? You're asking for quality time, and that's probably your language. If you say, would you give me a back rub, and you ask for that a few times over the month, you're asking for physical touch. So what you request most often typically is your love language. I wanted to follow up to Chris's question, and, you know, more importantly for the husbands and boyfriends are out there, how do we figure out what our partner's love language is? Yeah, very similarly. You can just turn those things around and ask, you know, as I observe them, uh, what are they doing for other people? Am I seeing them always hugging people when they encounter their friends? Or if so, physical touch is their language. So you go right through the same scenario. You just turn it around. What do they complain about most often? Now, sometimes in the dating relationship, especially if you're in love, they're not complaining. <laughs> because, you know, you're the happiest you're ever going to be when you're in love and you, you're not complaining much. Uh, But what do they request most often? That is a clue. But, you know, the easiest thing would be to each of you uh, go online, take the quiz, which gives you choices between two things. That's the format of the quiz. It's, for example, uh, I feel love when we take a walk together. 
or I feel love when we sit down and have an extended conversation. But if you can only have one of those, the walk together or extended conversations, which one are you going to choose? And so it, it, if you take the choices, it's 30 different choices, uh, it helps you discover what your primary language is and what the language of the other person is. Then the two of you can discuss the quiz after you've taken it. Dr. Chapman, I wanted to, to ask you, you talk about you know, the, the feeling of the love and the tingles at the very beginning. Are there warning signs that you talk about when those start to, to go away for people to know that they're no longer in love? Do you speak on warning signs in the book, too, that maybe you might not be in the love that you thought you were? Well, I think most people uh, sense that on their own, that they don't feel like they used to feel toward the other person. The, the problem that's really disturbing is if you don't know this is going to happen. I mean, that was true of me in my marriage. I, I didn't realize this was going to happen. I thought that the feelings I had for her in the beginning were going to follow me for a lifetime. And when I came down off those high, off that high, uh, what happens is you begin to recognize things about the other person that annoy you or irritate you. And so you bring them up, and then they get offended. And then they start bringing up things that, that, that you do that annoys them, and you get offended. And you end up arguing about things. And before long, you don't have warm feelings toward each other. In fact, you're asking, why did we get married? Or if you're not married, you're saying, I don't think we should get married because I don't like this. I don't feel what I used to feel. Uh, so I think we discover it just by experience. But if we know that this is the pattern, this is going to happen, then we're not quite as devastated when it happens. And we're far more likely uh, to be able to build a marriage if we understand that we're going to have to learn now how to listen to each other, how to respect each other, how to work through our differences and treat each other with dignity and respect, find answers to those things, and learn how to work together as a team. Because that's what marriage is. It's team. It's a team. It's a husband and wife, different people, different thoughts, opinions, different abilities, learning to work together as a team. And that takes effort, and especially it takes uh, the ability to listen empathetically to the other person and work together for a mutually satisfying solution on those conflicts. But if you're not prepared for that and you don't anticipate conflicts, and this is what's often true when you're in love, you don't think you're going to have any conflicts because it seems like you agree on everything. But the reality is all of us have conflicts because we're human and we think differently, we feel differently, we have different ideas, but you can learn to work together as a team. If you learn how to speak the love language of the other person, it creates a positive emotional climate in which to do that. I really like that last thing you were saying because you're not necessarily claiming that just by knowing and speaking your partner's love language that everything's going to be great. It's just that this provides a solid foundation for you guys to, to continue to grow and work on things. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, uh, the reality is that conflicts are a part of life. Some couples learn how to solve conflicts and, though, and then move on down the road. Other couples simply argue. Someone gets angry, slams the door, walks out. We don't talk about that for two weeks or three weeks. We talk about it again. We get angry. We slam the door, and we don't get it resolved. Now, you get a whole string of unresolved conflicts, and then you get the thought, we shouldn't have gotten married. We're not compatible. I mean, we're just never going to make it. We don't agree on anything. 
and then people tend to move on and you move away from the relationship. But if you understand that conflicts are a part of every relationship and uh, we're going to have to learn how to resolve these conflicts, uh, and because we have different abilities and different opinions, learning how to resolve conflicts is a part of life. Listen, this is true not only in marriage. This is true everywhere. It's true in work relationships. We have to learn to listen to each other, respect each other's thoughts and opinions, and then find a solution that's workable for us. And when you do that, every time you resolve a conflict, you feel closer together. No, you, So you're exactly right. The love languages uh, will not solve all the conflicts for you. But if you communicate love in the right language, you create that climate that's positive, caring, and uh, chances are you're going to be better able to resolve those conflicts. This is a great point then for me to ask. It's kind of a, a personal question. I figured, hey, you know, I'm sure a lot of people deal with this. But in speaking about conflict, I know that in my relationship, both me and my girlfriend are kind of fairly stubborn. So if we disagree on something, oftentimes we'll both hold on to our own stance a little too long and it'll cause tension and we might kind of, you know, go our separate ways for a little bit and not really talk about it. What is the best way to kind of work through a conflict in your opinion when you both have a strong belief in something, but you know you have to figure it out? Well, I think uh, let's first of all, we have to recognize the fact that whatever the opinion, whatever the idea, by nature, I know that I'm right. You know, let's face it, you know, I'm right. Why would I be holding this opinion if it weren't right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. But the reality, reality is the other person feels the same way about their opinion, that their opinion is right. So we have to recognize that as strongly as I feel in one direction, they feel in the other direction. Now, the second issue then, and once you accept that reality, is to recognize that we are humans and we're going to have differences. The question is, are we going to treat each other with respect? Are we going to respect their ideas even if we disagree with them? We're going to respect their freedom to hold that idea. So rather than trying to convince them that they're wrong and we're right, which is what an argument is, we're trying to present our case and then they try to present their case and one of us is going to win and one of us is going to lose or it's going to be a draw and we're going to not resolve it. Rather than going that route, we listen to the other person, we ask questions, we try to understand more clearly what they are saying, because sometimes we didn't even get it. And then we want to understand uh, how strong do they feel about that and why they feel that way. Where, where did that opinion arise from? Where did it come from and how strongly do you feel about it? And then we say to them after we've listened, and that's the key factor, we have to listen. Then we say, you know, I think I hear what you're saying. I think I understand why you would feel that way. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. Now, that's always a true statement because in their mind, given their personality, given their process of thinking, it's always right. It always makes sense in their mind. And when you say to them, that makes a lot of sense. Now, let me share my perspective. And because you have listened to them and affirmed them, they will likely listen to you and affirm your idea. And then you can say, okay, we still differ on this, so how can we solve the problem? You see, you respect each other's ideas, and you're looking now for a solution not to win an argument. And when you're looking for a solution, chances are 
especially if you feel loved by the other person, you're going to be willing to move from your original position, something in the middle, or maybe one of you will even say, you know, I think in this situation, even though I feel strongly about it, uh, I think it's more important that we go with, with your idea. And so you go all the way over to their idea, uh, and, or, or you find a meeting place in the middle. But when you focus on solution, two adults looking for a solution will find one. But two adults who are trying to win an argument will likely lose the relationship. Now, it sounds like in Chris's example, the love language that's being spoken by somebody who is stubborn and strong in their opinion really falls into the words of affirmation. Is that one of the hardest love languages to learn? And if not, which would be? Well, I don't think there is one that's hardest for everybody. The one that's hardest for an individual is what is their number five. That is the one that's least important to them will likely be the hardest for them to speak. And often I find this in, in married couples that, for example, the husband's number one uh, might be words of affirmation and words of affirmation might be number five for the wife that it's least important to her. So she is going to have a learning curve to try to learn to speak words of affirmation because she probably did not get words of affirmation growing up. She's never learned to speak that language very well. She finds it difficult. So she's going to have to work harder. So for her, that's going to be the hardest of the five. But it's different for each individual. If, if gifts is not your language, for example, you just never thought much of gifts, never gave many gifts, didn't receive a lot of gifts, gifts are not important to you, and then you find out that receiving gifts is your wife's primary language, you're going to have to work at it. It's going to take some effort. You know, I suggest maybe you talk to her sister. Get her sister to help you pick out gifts for her. You're going to have to learn how to buy gifts for her. Uh, but the good news is you can learn any one of these languages. It does take effort. It does take a willingness to do it. But you can learn to speak these languages. And that's, that's what gives hope to people. They can be learned. I have one last question for you that I think will help out a lot of our male listeners. And I might be stereotyping a little, and so I'm kind of interested in your experiences, but I find that oftentimes the, the men in, in relationships are the ones who, they don't understand the quality time aspect that because it's just mm -hmm. less of a love language, I think. I, I don't know. And it's tough because it causes conflict because we might want to go play sports or watch TV or do all these things. And it doesn't mean we care any less. It's just, it's how I feel like we are. Do you find that to be the case quite often? And then if so, is your recommendation just to recognize it and, and try to provide that quality time? Well, I think you are right. Uh, and probably uh, men have more difficulty with quality time than women do. Uh, because women tend to be more relational. You know, men tend to be more active. And in fact, most men don't have a whole lot of close friends. In fact, I meet a lot of men who could not list two people that they would consider really friends, that they really spend time with and share, you know, with deeply. Right. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, there are men for whom quality time is, is relatively easy, and they really like quality time, and quality time is, is really their language. Uh, but I think you're right uh, that the predominant uh, pattern would be that men would find this more difficult. Yeah, and what I would say is if you realize that your wife's language is quality time, sit-down time in which you're looking at each other, talking to each other, interacting, sharing life with each other, if you realize that, then you're going to have to work hard at it. You're going to have to probably put it on your schedule to have lunch with her, you know, periodically. 
you're probably going to have to uh, say to her, honey, could we start out with just 10 minutes? I mean, I really want to speak your love language, but could we just start out with 10 minutes each evening? After dinner, get everything done, we'll sit down for 10 minutes, and, and we'll kind of work our way up to where you feel comfortable, okay? Most wives are willing to do that because they know that they're going to get 10 minutes tonight and 10 minutes tomorrow night and 10 minutes the next night, and that's a whole lot more than they've been getting. You know, <laughs> So she's willing to work with you. You see, men sometimes say to me, Dr. Chapman, the reason I don't want to start talking to her is it's going to be all evening. If I start getting into a conversation, it's going to take all evening. I've got things to do. <laughs> so that's one of their honest fears. And so I just say, if you set a time, uh, 10 minutes or whatever you decide to do, then regularly giving her that time is going to meet her need, and it's also going to give you freedom to, after it's over to go do whatever else you need to do. So, yeah. Uh, men can learn how to how to speak the language of quality time. Dr. Chapman, we're we're right about at 25 minutes, and we had told you that's what we wanted to have you on for, and we know you're a very busy man, so we'll stick to that schedule. But I wanted to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was extremely insightful. I know our listeners are going to enjoy it and, and love listening to this conversation we had. But I wanted to ask you, are there any websites or other books out there besides the five love languages that you wanted to – you know, point our listeners in the direction of? Yeah, I think the website would be fivelovelanguages.com. You can spell out five or you can put in the number five, fivelovelanguages.com. And there you'll discover, uh, you know, other books that I've written. One I would just mention that I think is exceedingly important and somewhat parallels the five love languages is my book, The Five Languages of Apology. Because what we discovered, and I say we because I wrote that book with Dr. Jennifer Thomas, another counselor, what we discovered is that people also have different apology languages. That is, what one person considers to be an apology is not what another person considers to be an apology. So, for example, he will say to her, I'm sorry, and he thinks he's apologized. But in her mind, he hasn't apologized because she has a different language. She wants to hear him say, I was wrong. I should not have done that. <laughs> well, he doesn't say that because he didn't learn that. You know, his mother taught him to say, I'm sorry, and that's all he knows to do. And he doesn't understand why she won't forgive him. Well, the reason is she doesn't think he's apologized. So that book can be very, very helpful, uh, The Five Languages of Apology. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And again, we appreciate it. Yep, thank well, you. Well, thank you, Chris and John. Good, good to be with both of you guys. Keep up the good work. All right, thank you very much. All right, special thanks to Dr. Chapman for being on the show. Thank you for listening to us and... We really hope you learned a little something and enjoyed yourself in the process. I agree. I know I did learn some stuff during this this interview, and it caused me to go over to Dr. Chapman's website, fivelovelanguages.com. You can either put the number five or spell out five. And I took the love languages quiz, and I was kind of surprised. And you failed? I did. Did you fail? Well, <laughs> yes. Just like my, my relationship life right now, uh... it, was, it was just... All failure. No, but I, I took the quiz and was kind of surprised because one of the areas that you said that, you know, you didn't like to spend time in, which was quality time, was the same area for me, too, where if it wasn't something that I enjoy doing, I didn't want to do it. Shocker. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Really. <laughs> but quality time was actually my second highest score where I scored a nine second to words of affirmation I was pretty surprised by both of these because one I didn't realize that 
I needed somebody to tell me good things at all times, and two, that I was very selfish in my quality time thinking. <laughs> because it, it, it is, it's just what I want to do, not really what they want to do. So thinking about that, I've tried to, to figure out how to improve in these areas, and hopefully after reading Dr. Chapman's book, this will start at a very rapid pace. Yeah, well... I mean, I guess that's why we started this whole thing, right? Was oh, to talk absolutely. to people. We didn't, you know, we didn't think we were going to actually have people listen. We just figured we'd talk to people. We'd learn something and better our life. So you yep. learned a little something there. And I thought it would be therapy for ourselves where we'd learn things that we'd want to do later in life and, right. and figure out what we wanted to do for a career as opposed to what we're currently doing. Yeah, and how it morphs. But one thing I did want to say is along the lines of what you were speaking to before we went through the interview, you know, we encourage you guys to reach out contact us we actually had somebody contact us on our website said really nice things about listening to the website you know every morning or every time she can while walking her dog and it's those kind of things that make this podcast exciting and fun to do because we definitely don't make any money we don't reap many rewards other than hopefully you guys enjoy it so we appreciate you guys telling us that we're actually going to send that woman a book we're going to send you a copy from last week's episode change anything we have a few copies of the five love languages we'd also like to send out. So if you would like a book, just contact us at Twitter on Smart People Pod, Facebook, Smart People Podcast, through our website, any way you want to reach out to us. We'll try and hook you up. It's our way of saying thank you. Again, thanks for listening. And John, unless you have anything else to say, we will let the people be on their way. I've got nothing else to add, but just make sure that you tune in next week for another exciting episode of Smart People Podcast. Thanks for listening.